All right, y'all, you ready to do this one more time? Let's do it. Hey, if you have your Bible, let me see it. Let me see it up in the air. Let me see it. Let me see it. Okay? Come on, more Bibles. Let me see them. Let me see them if you have it. All right. Take that Bible. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. This is where we're going to end our time together this week is in Daniel chapter 9. I, uh, I recently, I, I live out kind of in the sticks, a little bit out in the countryside, and uh, we, like my neighbor has like 20-something acres, and there's all this land around us, and so my driveway is like this long, steep driveway like this, and I got to take my trash cans about like a quarter mile down to the main road every week, and uh I know, right? Does anybody have to take the trash out as like a chore at their house, right? You feel my pain, right? So I got a couple of trash cans, right? I got like a recycling bin and like the regular trash. And typically, right, like I take the trash can out and I roll it, like I, you know, put it back on its wheels. And this is like a visual representation of what it looks like for me to take my trash can out, right? It's like I tip that thing back. It's like a little bit of a hill and I take the trash out, right? And it's like, I'm either here or maybe I drag it behind me depending on how I'm feeling on that particular day, and boom, trash cans are out, right? So that's typically my like pace with a trash can. Not bad, right? Thank you, thank you. And so the other day, I'm out and I grab the trash cans and I pull them and I'm getting ready to do my trash can thing and Piper runs out and homegirl, sprints out with her little pigtails, and she's like, Dada, and I'm like, what's up, girl? She's like, can I take the trash out with you? And I'm like, uh, quarter mile, two cans, right? Remember my pace? Not bad, right? It's a decent pace. And I look at Piper, and I'm like, you know what? Why the heck not? Like, I'm not in a massive rush. Like, why not? Like, let's, let's take the trash out together, okay? And uh, I, take the, I take the trash can and I put it behind me and, I, and I'm holding it here, but she's two and a half, right? She's all of, I don't know, two feet tall, two and a half feet tall. I don't, I don't, I've never measured my daughter, so I don't know. So I like, I take the trash can, I'm 6'3", so I'm here and I do this. And I bend it down so she can hold on to it, steep hill, and we start doing this. And I kid you not, I kid you not, I kid you not. She looks at me and she goes, whoa, Dada, slow down. <laughs> and I'm like, slow down, right? Like three hours later. Right? Like I'm, I'm like, what, how? So I, I, we bend over the trash cans like, like normally, you know, me, take the trash cans out. <laughs> right? Piper, we bend over, take the trash can here, and we're just here. Just like doing our thing. Just like snail's pace. But in my head, y'all, like this was a cool moment because I paused and I'm like, this is like the furthest thing. This has nothing to do with efficiency. Right? Like if I wanted efficiency when it came to taking out my trash, Piper comes running out, little pigtails, and I go, what's up, homegirl? She goes, can I, take you, take it out? Can I help you take out the trash, Dad? And I go, no, 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 I don't need you. 
I, I got this. I'm going to take the trash out. Like, it's, it takes too long with you, Piper. Like, it's, it's really inefficient. But I, but I pause in that moment, and I go, like, I don't care about taking the trash out at all. Like, the trash is going to get taken out. What do I care about? Like, I want a relationship with my little girl. And so I bend over, and I'm like, absolutely, you and I can take 17 hours to take the trash out and walk all the way down this driveway. And tonight, as we open up in Daniel chapter 9, friends, I think what we see in the life of Daniel is... A life lived right in exile. We talked in, in uh, night one about what is exile. Exile is when somebody's living somewhere that's not their home. We see in Jeremiah chapter 23 that, that God warned Israel over and over and over and over and over again. Right? Disobedience has a consequence. And if you don't hear these words of mine and put them into practice, there's going to come a consequence. In this case, it was exile. The Babylonians would come and they would conquer. And Daniel, as a young man, 15, 16, 17 years old, gets taken out of his home country. But in chapter one, it says Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And he's going to see kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. And as an 80-year-old man, Daniel's a man who has walked with God. And for some of you, friends, last night, you made a decision for the very first time to enter into this journey with God. Right, for some of you, last night you stood for a moment of repentance and you said, I need to get back on track with following this God because sure, I've given my life to him, I've surrendered my life to him, but if I look lately how I've been living, Austin, you said the words, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and confess with my mouth means that my life will follow. And those of you that stood up for repentance last night said, my life is not following the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. It doesn't look like that. It's not demonstrating to the world around me. And so all week long, we've been going back to Matthew chapter seven that says, if you hear these words of mine, Jesus says, and put them into practice, you will be like the house that's built on the, on the rock. But friends, I don't want you to miss. This isn't just about like blindly trusting God and for the rest of your life just going like, I'm gonna try really hard to be a good Christian. I, I want you to see the visual representation of me as a dad bending over going, like, I, do I need Piper to take out the trash? No. God doesn't need us. He desired relationship with us. God, Father, Son, and Spirit creates us in his own image from perfect love from purpose and for a purpose to glorify him, to be in relationship with him. Our sin broke that. But when we hear the good news of the gospel, last night we talked about the restoration, the rescuing, the reconciliation that comes because of the gospel. And I want us to see a good father that knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and goes, that's my daughter. That's my son. And he doesn't need you and yet desires to do relationship with you. And I hope that frees you up like it frees me up. Right? Imagine if Piper were to like hold on to the trash cans and like as we're taking out the trash can, she was just like, me and you, dad, taking out the trash, right? Like we do every week. Now, you and me, dad, pretty, pretty good at this whole taking out the trash thing, right? Like, like the, how ludicrous would it be for her to experience like pride in a moment or feel like, like I, dad, needed her to do this chore? It's like, what? I don't need you. I desire to be with you. I desire a relationship with you. And my love for my daughter, my desire for a relationship with her, it's like a singular drop in a bucket 
compared to like the Niagara Falls love that is the God of the universe's love for you. He desires relationship with you. And as we open up Daniel chapter nine, I want, to, I want you to see at the end of Daniel's life, as an old man who has lived faithfully in exile through multiple kingdoms, the prayer life that he has with this God as he's able to walk and be honest and open and wrestle with this God. And for some of you, you've been on a journey for a couple of years. For others of you, that journey's just starting. But I don't want you to miss how relational our God is. How much grace and understanding and forgiveness he has for you as he desires that you just come back to him over and over and over again and do life with him. Hey, so we have no business doing anything for God until we are consistently doing life with God. And I think some of us miss that. We think we have to open up the Bible and we gotta do all these things for God and we gotta, we gotta be obedient and we gotta try harder and maybe even some of you are already going like, I'm gonna go down the hill and this is what I'm gonna do and this is how I'm gonna, I'm gonna get after it. I'm gonna tell all my friends. And, and I love that excitement, but I don't want you to miss the fact that God desires just personal, individual, secret relationship with you. Intimate, you and him, and then go out and live a life for him. But there's far too many people that even within the church or even at a camp, right, it's really easy to hide amongst a bunch of Christians and do a bunch of things for God, but miss the fact that God desires relationship with you. Not that you would just do a bunch of things for him. And so hear this honest prayer from Daniel in Daniel chapter nine, verse four. And if you're there, one last time, Meadow Ranch. Give me a nice loud preach. Preach. Hey, that was your best one yet, okay? Daniel chapter nine, verse four. This is Daniel's prayer talking to God. He says this, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Hey, pause right there and look up at me. Hey, you, you should go and, and, and read the rest of this prayer later on on your own, but I love that Daniel is wrestling with God on behalf of his people. They're still in exile. They're still living somewhere that isn't their home. And he recognizes, he understands his people's wayward decisions, their disobedience, but he's pleading with this God. He's reminding himself of who this God is. And then he's asking this God to remember him and to remember his people. And I want you to skip down to verse 17. It says this, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. Or that, it's that big churchy word that we talked about two nights ago that means right with God. He's basically saying, we don't make requests because we are right with you or because we are powerful or because you should listen to us. But God, we make these requests because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear, and Lord, act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Friends, hear Daniel's plea 
I love that he's just willing to wrestle with this God. And, and that's my desire for you as we go from this place, that you would remember what we've talked about all week. But this week wouldn't just be an awesome memory that you have. This week wouldn't just be something that you look back on and go like, man, cool week at camp. But that we would look at this week and go, man, that, that was a week that I decided to follow Jesus and my life has never been the same since. See, can I, can I tell you what my greatest fear for you is? I've been a pastor for about 10 years now, and I, I've had the amazing privilege of working with hundreds of junior high students and high school students, if not thousands, and I get to, I get to watch uh, camp after camp after camp of, of God move through the gospel, but now I'm a, I've been a pastor for, for about a decade now working with students, and so that means I don't just go to camp with students, but I actually like, live out a lot of life with high school students. And over the last 10 years, right, my greatest fear for students, you included, is not that you're going to go home and that there's going to be some moment where you watch a YouTube video or you have a conversation with somebody or you read a book and all of a sudden like you come across some sort of evidence that disproves Christianity. That's not my greatest fear for you. In the last 10 years of ministry, I've had probably conversations that I could count on one hand with people that went like, hey, here's a book I'm reading, or here's a video I watched, here's a piece of evidence, and like, I don't know what to do with this because this seems like it disproves God. This seems like it disproves the resurrection. Friends, do you know this? Do you know Christianity is not some sort of philosophical ideology? It's not some... Uh, movement of like great wisdom. Christianity hinges on a historical moment. Hey, Jesus was a very real man that walked the earth and no one denies the fact that there was a Jesus. Hey, no historian, no scientist. Hey, it's impossible to deny the fact that Jesus Christ like walked the earth, that he was a real man. And so all of Christianity hinges on the fact of whether or not Jesus actually resurrected from the dead. No one has claimed that. No one else has claimed, like, I resurrected myself from the dead. But over the last 2,000 years, it stood the test of time that all of Christianity hinges on this moment. Friends, I'm, I'm being dead honest with you. If you disprove the resurrection, I quit my job tomorrow. I never speak at another camp. I look at the Bible and go, this story isn't true. All of Christianity, the entirety of the Bible, hinges on the fact that Jesus came, lived a life, died a death, resurrected himself on the cross. It all hinges on this. And so my greatest fear for you, friend, is not that you go home and you read some book or you watch some video or you have some conversation and you come back to me or your youth pastor or your leader and you go, I don't believe it anymore because read this. Look at this evidence. What do I do with this? So what's my greatest fear for you? My greatest fear for you is that you go home and you just slowly drift into a mediocre version of following Jesus. And if I'm being honest with you, I've watched it happen time after time after time after time after time where students have an incredible week at camp they might even have this encounter with God and then you go home and you get back to the busyness of life and you get your phone back and you get your friend group back and you dive into sports for the summer. And weeks and months and maybe years go by where Hume is this distant memory in the past where you had a really rad experience but Jesus isn't someone that you have an intimate relationship with. 
He's not your Lord. He's not your Savior. And the thing that you stood for at camp, maybe you still go to church when it's convenient, but my greatest fear for you as a student is that you settle for a mediocre version of following Jesus. And so tonight, what I want to talk about, what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is just asking the question, okay, then what? How? How do I not settle? How do I have this thriving relationship with Jesus? And the first thing I'll ask is this. How many of you are good with directions? Right? Like if you've been somewhere once before, you know how to get back there. What's your name? Maya. Maya. Okay, Maya, can I pick on you a little bit? Can you? Yeah. She's like, <laughs> okay, Maya, um, let's just say um, I, took a, I took like a red flag, and I took that red flag and I planted it 100 yards from here, okay, football field. And I took that red flag, and it's like, it's like pretty decent size, so I planted it, and then I gave you directions on how to go 100 yards to that red flag, and then I said, Maya, but here's the, here's the thing. Okay, I'm going to take those directions and I'm just going to set you off course by one degree. Just one degree, okay? And now, uh, board sport people in the room, where are you at? Like snowboarding, skateboarding, wakeboarding, kiteboarding. I can't think of any more board sports, okay? Um, surfing, there we go. Okay, if I do this, if I go like this, what's this called? 180, okay? If I do this, what's this called? Okay, if I do this, what's, no, I'm just kidding, that's all I got, okay? What are those? Those are, so it's 180 degrees in a circle, right? So it's 360 degrees in a circle. That's, it's called a 180 because it's 180 degrees. 360 because it's 360 degrees. So Maya, if I give you directions to this red flag and I set you off course by one little degree, out of 360, one, just one teensy tiny degree, by the time, Maya, you get to that red flag, you're going to miss my red flag by about five feet, right? It's like, a, like you lay James down, and you can see you get to the red flag, right? You're like, oh, it's right there. Not a big deal, right? One degree off. Now, if I were to take that red flag, and instead of 100 miles, I go a mile away from Meadow Ranch, and I plant my red flag, and then at, at our starting point, I go, ready, Maya? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good with directions. I set you off one degree. By the time you travel one mile away, you're going to miss my red flag by 92 feet, Okay, starting to be significant. You're going to get to the spot and be like, I don't see, oh, there it is, 92 feet away. Now, if we were to go to a starting spot, and instead of 100 yards or a mile, right, I, I planted the red flag at my house in San Diego. And I went, I'm going to plant it right here. I said, ready, Maya? I'm going to give you directions. And then I'm going to set you off by one degree from Hume Lake Christian Camps. And you're going to travel the 386 miles that it is to get from Hume to my house in San Diego. By the time you arrived in San Diego, you're going to miss my house by six miles. And you're going to have quite the trek to find where my house is. Now, if we were to plant this red flag over in Ponderosa, but I said, here's the catch, Maya. You actually have to travel all the way around the world and then come back to Hume. Right, So Hume to Hume, all the way around the world. And I planted the red flag right here at Hume, and you took off, and you went all the way across the U.S., and you got in a boat or on a plane or whatever you want to do, and you went all the way across Europe and all the way across Asia and all the way around the ocean and got back here to Hume. But you were off by one degree when you started. You would miss Hume by 435 miles. Now you'd be somewhere south of Ensenada, down in Baja. Now, here's the kicker, Maya. You like space? 
Sure, yeah. Maya, if I were to take you and put you in a rocket ship, right? Said you and Elon Musk, you're going on a journey, right? And I said, hey, Maya, I, I actually took that flag and I planted it on the moon. And I, we got in the rocket ship and I, we, we set the, the, the coordinates off just by one degree, like one teensy tiny degree. By the time you traveled the distance that it would take to get to the moon, you'd miss the moon by 4,169 miles. Not even close, right? You missed the moon by many moons. And you go, you missed it. Okay, so why does, friends, why do I mention this? Why does one degree matter? When you go home, when you go home tomorrow, the one degree decisions that you make as you go home matter. If you go home this week and you don't read your Bible and you're too tired to go to youth group and you don't really worship this week, you went, ah, I sang a lot last week, like I worshiped through music, like it was cool and all, but like I just need a little bit of break. You spend no time in prayer, right? If you make these just like subtle decisions this week, do you know what's gonna happen? Not much. Do you remember the 100 yards? Right? If you go 100 yards and you're off by one degree, you only miss it by five feet. It's like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. If you make one degree decisions, and let's say you went the other way. You go home this week and you do spend time in worship. You do spend time in prayer. You do spend time in God's word. You go to youth group. Do you know what's going to happen? Probably not much. One degree in the short term doesn't really make a massive difference. But friends, the decisions you're making today are absolutely impacting who you will be 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Hey, gentlemen in this room, if you want to be a husband someday, if you want to be a dad someday, if you want to be a man in the workforce someday, the decisions you're making now are absolutely determining who you will be when you are a grown man. Ladies in this room, if you want to be a mom someday, if you want to be a wife someday, if you want to be in the workforce someday, and you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, whatever it is that you want to do, the decisions you're making today are absolutely impacting who you will be. So one degree, does it matter in the next week? Does it matter in the next month, three months? Eh, a little bit, but zoom that out over five years. And so here's how I want to close, okay? I just want to give you four things. And if you're taking notes tonight, I just want to give you these four things. Say, and here's the cool thing about these four things. All four of these are things that we've been talking about all week. All four of these things are things that you've been doing all week that I would argue is what makes Hume so amazing. Is because these four things are a part of your daily practice. And if you go home and you make these four things a part of your daily practice, I promise you the one degree course corrections that you'll make over the next year, two years, five years, 10 years will absolutely keep you on track following Jesus. Hey, and the first one, the first one is God's word. Hey, the Bible. We've been talking about this all week, right? That this book is actually 66 different books written by 40 different authors, 2,000 years, three continents, three languages, and it tells the greatest story that has ever been told. Not about what you have to do to get to God, but what God has already done to get to you. Friends, fall in love with God's word. Have a hunger for it. And now, how many of you, just by the show of hands, how many of you would, would uh, say that you've read the Bible before, but it's kind of confusing? Okay, cool, right? I'm with you, me too. But here's the thing about the Bible, right? Uh, any Marvel fans out there? Okay, 
okay, here's, here's what I believe about Marvel fans. I think, right, like I'm a Marvel fan. Like I like Marvel. Like they're, they're movie, their movies are great. But I, I think there's two types of people. There's like Marvel fans, like me, and then there's like Marvel fans. Do you know what I mean, right? There's like Marvel fans that are like, yeah, great movies. And then there's people that are like, Marvel, right, is life. So uh, a couple of years ago, when Endgame came out, y'all, y'all seen that movie, that Marvel Endgame? Okay, so a couple of years ago, when Endgame, like when it was first coming out, our college ministry, right, they decided to go to like opening night. They booked out a theater and they were like, you know, we're going to go. And so they invited me and I was like, cool, yeah, I'll go. But here's, can I confess something to y'all, right, like safe space? When I went and saw Endgame, I hadn't seen all the other Marvel movies. I know, I know, okay, I know. The Marvel people in this room are like, how dare you, okay? So I'm sitting next to my buddy, I sit next to my buddy Sean, and, I, and we're sitting there, and, and like, I'm, again, I'm like a Marvel fan. I'm like, yeah, great movies. He's like a Marvel movie, like he's like a Marvel fan. So we're sitting there, and there's that scene in the movie um, where uh, Thanos, Thanos, Dan? I'm so sorry, jeez. A couple of the Marvel people in the room were like, Thanos, right? Okay, so you know the scene? You know the scene where he has, uh, he's got that ax and he's like pressing it into Thor's chest, right? And it seems like all is being lost. And, it, and, and it's like, he's like saying something intense to him. Right? He's got the like wrinkles in his chin and face, whatever. And he's like pressing the, the, the ax into his chest and Thor's like, Ugh. Uh, right? And then all of a sudden, this, there's like this beautiful camera work. The camera goes behind Thor, and it's like, <laughs> Thor's hammer, boom, out of nowhere, hits Thanos, right? And then it, the camera like pans up, and it's like, <laughs> and catches it, blue spandex boy, right? Captain America. He catches it, and the whole theater, y'all, the whole theater, as soon as Captain America caught Thor's hammer, lost their minds, right? If you saw this movie in a room full of people that were like Marvel fans, Captain America catches that and they're all like, oh, he's worthy, right? Like they're like losing their minds. And I was sitting there, y'all, I'm literally, I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm like, what just happened? Right? Like I, de- I, de- I like, I seriously, I was so confused. I was like, I don't, I don't get it. And I look at my buddy, Sean, and I'm like, I'm doing the like whispery movie thing, right? I'm like, Sean, I'm like, Sean, Sean. He's like, what? He's all annoyed. This is like his movie. This is his moment. And I'm like, what happened? And he just looks at me. He's like, he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm confused. What happened? And he's like, oh, like he's so annoyed with me. And he's like, Austin, he's like, do you not get it? And I'm like, no, clearly I don't get it. That's why I'm asking this question, right? And we're like, there's like this argument happening in the middle of the movie. Like one of the Marvel people looks back, they're like, shh. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Right? And he's like, Austin, like, where do I even begin? He's like, this is a big green guy. I'm like, Hulk, yeah, yeah, Hulk. And he's like, he, like, he tried to pick up Thor's hammer and he couldn't do it because he isn't worthy. And like the only person that can yield the hammer, right? The hammer's name is like Jonathan or something, right? And they're like, the, the only person, the only person that can yield the hammer is like, you have to be worthy to yield the hammer. And so Captain America, he's like kind of the leader, but he's not the leader. He used to be this like skinny kid, but he like, then he became brave and like he went in this machine and he was like, and like became yoked. And like now he's the leader and he's been like sacrificially leading the Avengers for all this time. And so when he's gonna save the day, he catches the hammer and he's like explaining all this context from all these other movies. And I'm like, oh, I, okay, pretty cool moment, right? And he's like, 
if you don't know the context, if you just jump in in the middle of it, this is never going to make sense to you. And I'm like, clearly, right? But friends, can I let you in on a little secret? We do that all the time with the Bible. Y'all ever do this one, right? Where you're like, all right, Lord, I'm here for it. Going to read the Bible today. And we do the like magic eight ball thing. And we're like doing my Devo. <clears throat> ah, yes, of course, of course. Deuteronomy 25. When people have a dispute, they are to take it to the court and the judges will decide the case, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. If the guilty person deserves to be beaten, the judge shall make them lie down and have them flogged in the presence of the number of lashes the crime deserves. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Mm. It's a good word, Lord. It's a good word. Confusing, right? And we go, I don't get the Bible. It doesn't make any sense, right? Like, I know I went to camp and we read it and there was this cool story, but like, it's just too hard. I don't get it. Friends, find one of your leaders. Ask your youth pastor. Ask any, anybody on staff at Hume, like just, if you have a desire to read the Bible, just go up to them and say, hey, where should I start? Where do I, where do I read, where do I begin reading this book? Because here's the cool thing, okay? I'm like, I'm like 20 something years into diving into God's word on my own and starting to read it and starting to study. And the more that I study it, the more that I understand God's word in its context, the more I, I have this hunger to dive in and understand. And we start to see the parallels and the ties between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you read the Bible in its context, I'm not just saying this because I'm like a pastor and I'm supposed to say it up front. I genuinely believe that this is the greatest story ever told in the history of man. It doesn't get better than this. If you think the Bible is boring, it's because you haven't read it. Dive in, but don't dive in like this. Dive in in its context. Hey, ask one of your leaders, go, can we read the Bible together? And I promise you, there's not a leader in this room that goes, eh. right? If you, as a junior high student, walked up to one of your leaders before this weekend and said, hey, as we go home for the rest of the summer, would you read the Bible with me? Your leader's gonna be like, huh? Right, like absolutely, like, like that, is, that is absolutely what I wanna do. Okay, so number one, number one is your Bible, okay? The first thing, if you make this a regular practice of your life, I'm gonna give you four pillars, right? These four things that will help you keep, stay on track and following Jesus. Number one, the Bible, okay? Number two, I already hinted at this a little bit, but it's your community, it's your people. Christianity was never meant to be done alone. Hey, I've, uh, one of my favorite countries in the world is, is South Africa, and I have a, one of my best friends and his wife and his, couple of, his three kids live over there in South Africa, and they have this incredible thriving ministry. And I've had the insane privilege to go over there and be with them a couple of times, and we've gotten to go on these safaris. But when you go on safari in South Africa, um, everything is like the same color. When you're out on safari, everything is like tan, everything, Right? And so when you're looking around, like there's the occasional tree, but for the most part, things are tan. So if you see a zebra, right, or what they call a zebra, I got made fun of very, like very much. So if you just go to South Africa and you say zebra, I'm going to save you a world of pain, okay? So I go over there. If you see a zebra standing by itself, black and white stripe, contrasted against the, the, the like tan that is safari. If you see a zebra all by itself, you know what they call that in South Africa? Dinner, Okay? Homie's dead. Like, he's, he's not going to last. Why? Because black and white stripe contrasted against tan, it doesn't work. 
But do you know why God made zebras black and white striped? Is because zebras are pack animals. They're meant to travel together. And so when a bunch of zebras travel together, the black and white stripes all like blending together creates confusion for any predator. Right? Y'all, you and I, we were never meant to be done to do Christianity to follow Jesus by ourselves. When you go home, you have to get plugged into a church. Your youth pastor, your leaders, your brothers and sisters around you, Scripture makes it abundantly clear. It says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or so one woman sharpens another. You need each other to sharpen each other, to challenge each other, to spur one another on towards following Jesus. Hey, leaders in this room, can you all stand to your feet for me for just a second? Hey, leaders that came up here. Okay, here's the thing, here's the thing, okay? Y'all, two things. Number one, number one, not right now, not right now, but before you leave this camp, again, let me just triple down on not right now. Before you leave this camp, make sure you look these men, these women in the eyes and say thank you, okay? Not right now. Here's why. These men, these women, they didn't come up to camp because they need more 13-year-old friends. Hey, that's not why they're here. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Hey, don't get me wrong. Along the way, in the process, right, maybe you guys have become friends. But their purpose, their purpose in taking a week off work, their purpose in sleeping in a freaking bunk bed, right, their purpose in stepping away from maybe a spouse, or a job, or a family, or kids, the reason that they're here for the week is because Jesus has transformed their life. And when they were in junior high, or when they were in high school, they needed an adult that came alongside them and told them the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and then modeled it for them. And so now in their adulthood, they're turning around and their desire is for you to know Jesus, not just this week at Hume, but as you go home. Friends, take advantage of these men and these women in your life. Ask them out to lunch. Ask them if you can start a, a group text with some of the people that were here and say, hey, can we keep each other accountable? Can we keep praying for each other? Every single one of these men and women have taken a week away to love on you to model Jesus in your life. Number one, thank them. Number two, keep leaning on them. You need them to keep, to stay on track that when you drift one degree off, five degrees off, would you allow them, invite them to call you out on that and keep you accountable? Hey, give it up for these guys. Last two pillars. Last two pillars, okay? So number one is Bible. Number two is community. Number three, okay? Number three is worship through music, okay? Worship through music. And, and there's a reason I say specifically worship through music, okay? Remember, worship is not something you do. Worship is actually something you are. And so the question is not if you will worship, it's who or what you will worship. And all week long, we've gotten to come into this chapel sometimes multiple times a day, and we've gotten to worship with a band. Friends, there is power in music, and God knows this because he made it. He designed it. 
Hey, there's not a single person in this room, not one. If I asked you the question, if I said, hey, what are the ABCs? There's not a single person in this room that would do this. A, B, C, not one, right? If I said, hey, what are the ABCs? We would all go, A, B, C, D, E, F. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here's why, here's why. When we were kids, right? When we were children, when we were little, and we were learning our ABCs, the way that we learned was through song. Can I tell you, like, do you know how many Piper's toys, like how many of her toys are, like, have, are tied to songs in some way, shape, or form? Because as her mind is being formed, as she's learning English, literally, she's learning a language, music is powerful. It helps us remember things. Y'all ever like, heard a song that you haven't heard in forever and you still know every word? That's powerful, right? So f- the reason I say the third pillar is worship through music is because what would it look like What would it look like if instead of waking up and you having some whatever lyric stuck in your head, what if worship through music was such a consistent part of your life that the truth of God's word, the truth about who God is, like those songs were the things that were just embedded in our minds. If you don't have a worship playlist on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you use, ask the band. Hey, just go, hey, what, what songs have we played this week? Ask one of your leaders and say, hey, would you help me make a playlist of worship music so I can like get worship stuck in my head? Music is powerful. Make worship through music a regular part of your life, number three. And number four is prayer. And if I'm being totally honest with you, Meadow, this one is the hardest one for me. I, I struggle, I wrestle with prayer. I, 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 it's hard for me. I find myself uh, distracted in the middle of it. Right? I could be praying, and then I'm like praying, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about like what I'm gonna have for dinner. And then I'm like, yeah, sorry, God. And then I like come back, and I'm like, I, I, want, I wanna engage, I wanna have a conversation, because here's why. Number one, when we see Jesus live his life, we see him make it a priority. Jesus goes off to the secret place time and time and time again and makes it a priority to connect with his Father through prayer. But I think a lot of us confuse prayer, right? We think prayer is like these and thous. That like when we pray, especially if we pray out loud in front of other people, we have to be like, our dearest heavenly father, thankest thou for the sanctification of the transubstantiation of just God, the, really, the, the depths of the way that thou hath movest in my life, right? Y'all, can I just let you know, like, God doesn't speak new King James. He's not impressed by your big words. Now, if you talk like that in real life, knock yourself out, pray like that. But prayer, I love this definition. One of my dear friends, right, she defined prayer like this. She said, prayer is spending time with the person who loves you the most. That's it. Prayer is just spending time with the person who loves you the most. Right? If you have a best friend, let me just ask you this question. If you talk to your best friend as much as you talk to God, would your best friend still be your best friend? Does that make sense, right? Like, so Paige and I have been married five years this year. If I talk to Paige as much as I talk to God, would we still have a deep connection, right? If we only pray three times a day and it's like a 90-second prayer before meals, if those were the only times that I connected with my wife and it was always like a repetition of the same words, would we have a good relationship? The answer is no. 
Right? If the only times I talked to my wife was like briefly before bed and 90% of the time I fell asleep. You know what I'm saying? Anybody been there? Right? You're like, hey, Lord. Huh. Thanks for the... Right? And, and, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like shame you for that, but I'm just inviting you into maybe taking like one step closer in your prayer life to connecting with the God of the universe who's inviting you in to talk to him. Prayer is simply spending time with the person who loves you the most. I, I wrestle with it. I struggle with it, but I want to keep wrestling. I don't just want to give up because it's hard. And so I'm inviting you in. So would you make these four things a regular pattern of your life? Number one, God's word. Number two, community. Y'all need each other. Number three, worship through music. Regularly inundate yourself in worship through music. What you take in, what you listen to, what you watch absolutely matters. If we think that what we listen to or what we watch doesn't matter, we're kidding ourselves. Right? The music that we listen to, the entertainment that we dive into, it matters. Make worship through music a regular pattern of your life and then prayer. Make these four pillars Four things that you build your life upon and watch how you will course correct time and time and time again and chase after Jesus in a radical way. Hey, let me pray over you guys and then we're gonna be done. God, thanks for this week. God, thank you for the ability to connect with you all week through opening up your word. God, through recreation, through worship, through music, through times of community and laughter and fun. God, and I just ask that this week would be a week where we didn't just go to camp, we didn't just have fun, but God, maybe this was a week we made a big decision and that our life will never be the same because of this week because this was a week we decided to be all in for you or give our life fully over to you. And now, God, as your sons, as your daughters, would our lives match that? Would we spend time in prayer and connecting with you? Would we find ourselves in a vibrant community and lean into our youth groups? Rely on our leaders. Would we open up your word? Would you give us a hunger and a thirst for you, God? We love you so much. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray.